Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon. My name's Roy Taylor, and you're listening to Freedom of Species. Freedom of Species brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. It's a radio program dedicated to raising awareness of issues concerning animals. And this includes advocacy, activism, protection, conservation, rewilding, and importantly, appreciation. The show is broadcast from the 3CR studios in Melbourne, and we're streamed live via the 3CR website. Recent podcasts are also available on the 3CR website, that's 3cr.org.au, and Freedom of Species and podcasts are also available on the Freedom of Species website, that's freedomofspecies.org. And all previous podcasts are available on iTunes. And in today's show, we're talking about the human rights of vegans with Jeanette Rowley of the International Vegan Rights Alliance and Greg McFarlane of Vegan Australia. Hey, are you curious? Do you want to see how a busy radio station works? Do you want to know how over 300 broadcasters come together to produce radio 24-7? Are you interested in seeing the inside of a radio studio? Or do you want to find out more about 3CR's unique radio philosophy? Let me take you on a station tour. For $90, 3CR offers one-hour radio station tour for groups at a time that suits you. Radio, live transmission. Radio, live transmission. So if you are part of a community organization, student group, or institution, give 3CR a call on 94198377. 7 For more information about radio station tours at 3CR, go to 3cr.org.au and click on Station Tours. So, I'm in the studio with Jeanette Rowley of the International Vegan Rights Alliance. And on the phone we've got Greg McFarlane of Vegan Australia. Hello, Jeanette. Hello. And hello, Greg. Good to be with you. So, Jeanette, you are here at the moment for a conference. Could you tell us about the conference and then what you're going to be presenting? Um, Yes, I'm here for the um, Animal Publics Conference at Melbourne University and I'm presenting a paper called Toward a Vegan Jurisprudence of Human Rights. And your organisation, International Vegan Rights Alliance, could you tell us about that? 
Well, the International Vegan Rights Alliance is an organisation that was started because of a particular situation in the UK. Um, the Equality and Human Rights Commission of the UK produced a draft code of practice to accompany the 2010 Equality Act. And in the code of practice, they gave employers some advice about how they could accommodate vegans in the workplace. But when the um, final uh, code of practice was published, they'd taken out those vegan examples. And the examples were very important for vegans. They advised employers um, how they could provide kitchen facilities and uh, crockery and this kind of thing and how they could separate those items from other items that people would use in the kitchen with, with products that vegans don't want to, to associate themselves with. So I, I felt that this was a great disservice to veganism, and vegans really do need a voice, you know, and if they don't incorporate um, the needs of vegans into a code of practice, then vegans don't have a voice because of the, the, the kind of um, ridicule of veganism in the workplace. So... I started the International Vegan Rights Alliance to to support vegans and, and also to give vegans across the globe a voice um, to challenge the, the kind of human identity that that is a dominant identity that, that suggests that we don't have compassion and, and, and I wanted to challenge that through the organisation. And how long ago was it that you formed this organisation? Um, it was about three years ago, um, maybe maybe four. I think it was been started about four years ago, but we've we got off the ground maybe three years ago. And please, tell us about the work that you've done in that time. Um, we, we've helped quite a number of, of vegans uh, in different countries, in, in the Irish Republic, in France. Um, these cases are on, on the website. Uh, and, it, and it's been very important for those individual vegans. We, we don't do a lot of advocacy and we don't get involved in a lot of cases, but where we do, they are very important cases. For example, the one in France... Uh, was a case where people had had their child taken away from them because of their vegan lifestyle. So I was able to work with uh, um, one of our representatives abroad, um, produce documentation for the court, which gave information about vegan lifestyle um, in order to resolve the situation. And the same situation in Ireland as well, where uh, a person was excluded from a restaurant simply because they were vegan. So we were able to provide information about equality law um, and resolve that situation with them as well. Greg, can you introduce yourself in the context of your position with IVRA? Yes, um, I uh, first uh, came across IVRA uh, a couple of years ago, and and uh, what they were doing was um, uh, fitted in very much with, with um, the idea of um, mainstreaming veganism, making it... Um, Easier and more acceptable to, to to people, and so I contacted uh, contacted them and uh, Jeanette, and uh, uh, have become the, uh, the Australian um, national representative. And have we seen any similar cases of discrimination in Australia to the ones that Jeanette has mentioned? Um, I'm I'm not aware of, of any um, the the um, the area that I'm. Um, I've been a little bit involved in this, uh, vegans in prison and, and uh, how they've been uh, treated. OK, we'll, maybe we'll come back to that later. Jeanette, with the work that the Vegan Society does, doesn't the Vegan Society cover this kind of work or was that something they were not doing at the time? 
The Vegan Society does a lot of advocacy work um, and they get overwhelmed with, with these kind of issues and they, they do like to get involved in as, as much as they can. I think, that, you know, with any organisation, they've got limited resources and limited staffing and limited funds and I've been able to, able to help the United Kingdom Vegan Society quite a lot with information about human rights law and equality law and I actually sit on the um, Academic Research Committee for the Vegan Society and I support them in their work with, and, you know, help them understand human rights legislation and help them with their advocacy cases. So do you have a background in jurisprudence? My background's in law, yes. Okay. Is this to you a form of animal advocacy? Uh, yes, certainly it is, but it's a different form of animal advocacy. I, I, I'm, my paper that um, I'm delivering at the university next week is a vegan jurisprudence of human rights, and it brings um, non-humans into human rights in a particular way. I'm avoiding any um, personhood arg arguments, and I'm avoiding any arguments to do with sentience. It's about human identity, and I'm challenging um, the ethics of human rights and the idea of uh, human identity in human rights. Um, I'm using a particular philosophy to show that the nature of human being is to be compassionate and that human rights is really about duty and compassion. It's not about how many rights we can claim for ourselves. And using this particular philosophy that says we are compassionate and we are always ready to welcome any suffering other being, then, then human rights is about suffering and welcoming. Um, and I don't need to rely on any notion of personhood or sentience to bring animals into human rights. Because the postmodern expansion of, of human rights includes vegan human rights. And if human rights is recognising veganism, then it's recognising um, it, itself as open to um, granting uh, rights to non-humans. It's complex, and uh, we probably haven't got much time to go into that in detail today. But that's basically what I'm doing with, with human rights and the International Vegan Rights Alliance. No, I'm, I think we do have some time to discuss this. Okay, I'm, I'm curious. that's great, that's great. So as a layperson, it sounds to me like you're approaching it not from the point of view of claiming rights for people, but creating duties for people to mm -hmm. consider others. Yes, yeah, certainly. I, I, I mean, if, if we've got the time, I can put this into context. The, the foundations of human rights is, is based on Kantian philosophy, which says that human beings have autonomy and we are singular atomistic beings we go through life with total autonomy and nothing gets in the way of that and it's that that should be protected by all these rights but there is a branch of human rights scholarship that rejects that it deposes the autonomy myth completely and what this branch of human rights philosophy says is that instead of Kant at the basis of human rights we should have Immanuel Levinas because Levinas's philosophy says that we're not autonomous beings, we are actually impacted and affected by other beings, especially beings that suffer. So if I was to go outside now, and because I've got autonomy, rational autonomy, moral autonomy and agency, I can just do what I want to do. But if I go outside now, on the pavement, if there's a human being suffering or an animal suffering, that completely overthrows my autonomy and affects me to the point where I want to help that person or I want to help that animal. So if that's happening to me, you've got to question to what extent do I have the, the kind of Kantian autonomy that's giving me all these human rights. 
you know that so if we if we can replace the uh, the foundation of human rights Kant with Immanuel Levinas then we have a notion of a human identity that is impacted by suffering and vulnerability and and and, an, and a human identity that constructs us as compassionate beings to that vulnerability so the the human right is the, is the formal recognition that before myself has be, has come another that's impacted on me. It's Question. a very complex philosophy, Manuel Levinas. But you know, if you, if you can get your head around the idea that you are not an autonomous being that has access to all these claim rights, you are actually becoming who you are in a community of other human beings and animals and human human becoming is in the context of an intersubjectivity so we we become who we are with each other and it's not the boundary is not a human boundary there is no boundary it extends into the animal kingdom Well, the paper puts my uh, research um, into context of human rights. So I'll be looking, first of all, at the four schools of uh, theory in human rights. We have the natural scholars, which is all the Kantian stuff that I've just been talking about. Uh, we have the deliberative scholars, which look at the ethics of a discourse for a universal moral human rights. Uh, we have the discursive scholars, which look at uh, quite broadly at the ontology, the theory and the practice of human rights. And we have the protest scholars, which is a particular branch of human rights theory that I'm very interested in because their notion is that the, the project that is human rights is about suffering uh, and it's about compassion. So I'm building on that I, and I agree uh, with this particular branch of scholarship and then I depart and move it forward into a vegan jurisprudence of human rights. And it's basically built on Emmanuel Levinas's philosophy of the other, the legitimate other that impacts on our autonomy. So you said you departed from that school. At what point do you yes. depart from it? I, uh, well, the Pro- protest scholarship of human rights talks about the existence of Kant in the base of human rights and the, how that should be overthrown um, and replaced with the philosophy of Emmanuel Levinas. But they only do so uh, for humankind. Protest scholarship is a postmodern um, theory of human rights, but they still don't include non-humans in any protective rights theory. So I agree that we need to remove Kant so that we get the ethics of alt- alterity, and I agree that human rights is about suffering and compassion. But I depart there uh, and move forward and say that um, the ethics of alterity is already in human rights because human rights protects veganism. So if human rights is protecting veganism, then human rights is open to accepting rights for non-humans because vegan human rights create an intersection where human rights meet animal rights through vegan advocacy because vegan rights are not about vegans. Vegan rights are about the moral status of non-humans and Vegan rights impose duties on everyone else to consider non-humans. So from that point of view, human rights is open to protecting non-humans. I 
would disagree with you at first consideration, although I'm new to this discussion. Mm-hmm. Surely uh, vegan rights are about the interests of the vegans. It's mm-hmm. a protection of a belief. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that those beliefs are about the protection of animals is secondary. Mm-hmm. Or do you, do you disagree with that position? Um, I, I can agree and disagree. First of all, the, the framework that we have for human rights at the moment gives people human rights. But in doing so, it's hard to recognise veganism. But veganism isn't claim rights for themselves. Veganism it imposes the moral status of other animals on human rights. And protest scholarship says that um, all of the groups that have gained rights in the postmodern expansion of human rights, because originally human rights was about rights for men, so in the postmodern expansion of human rights we've had rights for women, rights for same-sex, rights for disabled, rights for children, and so on. And protest scholarship says that all of these new claim rights don't offer any transcendental value to the autonomy orthodoxy. They're still rights based on me, 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 um, my autonomous right, my autonomous right. But in the postmodern expansion of human rights has come vegan human rights. And vegan human rights say first and foremost that my autonomy has been deposed because my life is a, a, a life of commitment to the absolutely different other non-human. My rights concern the status, the moral status and the legal status of the non-human. And, you know, there is some evidence for this because in 1993 the European Court of Human Rights and the UK government agreed that veganism was protected under Article 9 of the European Convention. If that case concerned race, children, disabled people, same-sex couples, by now there would have been a massive change in society. There would have been a lot more consideration given to the, the, the outcome of that case. But nobody, not even a vegan society anywhere, picked up on that case and used it. And the reason is because vegans are vegan, the priority of vegans is other species. We're not looking for protection of ourselves. We're not looking. We're looking about at cases that would elevate our status. So it was missed. Typically, animal rights arguments concern whether or not they have have interests or well-being, or you know, it gets into deep philosophical waters and doesn't really go anywhere. Are they sentient? That people are arguing whether non-humans are sentient. People argue whether they have agency. And, and all of these arguments are based on this Kantian philosophy that we've, we, we're burdened with. Uh, we've been burdened with it for generations. And, you know, we have to get rid of this idea that humans are supreme and humans are exceptional and any rights for animals will be granted if they can come close to some kind of characteristics that, that humans have. So if they are like, you know, um, Tommy and Leo in America, they're, they're exhibiting cognitive abilities, so they should have rights. The orcas and the whales, they look like they might be as intelligent or near, so they should have rights. But, it, you know, rights, uh, the right to life, the right to your own being, should not depend on how close a creature comes to human competencies. We're all different. The, life is on a continuum. There, there can't be this distinction that is a human and an animal. Animals are a broad range. I've seen some documentaries that talk about a strange creature that's half plant, half animal. And within human society, we've got 
people who don't conform to the you know this notion of having autonomy rational and moral agency but yet we are human and they are animal and i think that distinction is wrong and needs to be broken down uh i'll ask you both in turn first of all Jeanette and then greg what your opinions are in having veganism defined as a belief in the same way that a religion is there are a few different things going on with this because um, some people think that veganism shouldn't be considered a belief because it's a moral imperative um, and therefore it doesn't have anything to do with religion and it doesn't have anything to do with belief but the fact is in human rights law in order to be protected um, in order for your rational autonomy to be protected, you have to have either a qualifying religion or a qualifying belief. That's the nature of the protection of freedom of conscience, uh, freedom of religion and, and belief, freedom of conscience, either in the International Bill of Rights or in the European um, system of rights. So we have to look at what the legal situation is, and that's the legal situation. Um, some people think that veganism is related to religion in a spiritual way. Um, I've come across that before as well. And, you know, it doesn't really matter to me whether people feel religious or spiritual or simply just veganism as a moral imperative because what matters to me and what matters in, in, in human rights law is that there is a compliance with the requirements for your personal values to be considered deep convictions to the extent that they are protected and and that that's that's my position and that's the human rights position that if you live according to deep convictions and they uh pass the test of qualification in law then then you're protected and that that that, that that's how i feel about veganism greg what's your feeling about having veganism classified in the same way as a religion um well it's, it's something that has has concerned me and uh and i i just wanted to make sure that uh, I think Jeanette's pointed out that um, well at least for me it's all, all about the animals um, and how we can um, reduce suffering uh, overall and that the concept of vegan rights is a way of making 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 veganism um, more attainable and and then indirectly um, working on the issues of animal suffering but um, I, I've actually changed my uh, view on whether um, veganism can be considered uh, a religion in, in some senses. Uh, I, I've seen some cases in, in the US where um, it's been considered a, a religion and, and therefore various people have been able to claim um, rights about it because it's been defined, a religion's been defined as a, as a set of beliefs that, that impact your life in, in, a, in a large extent mm -hmm. and I think for, for most vegans that, 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 that is true even though it may not have a spiritual or a, uh, a God uh, component it is, it is a set of beliefs that, uh, that's central to your, um, to your life and in, in that sense uh, I think some, some cases in the United States have, have um, given people rights based on that He's a death cult. Nothing but a death cult. Islamist death cult. The Islamist death cult. Have a look cult. at Islam in death Australia. Cult. Death cult. All these the mosques being built. Flag. This All is the a death funds. cult. To use this All term the money is to they dignify make. a death cult. These are the two enemies we're fighting. The communist left and Islam. Because the two 
are hand in hand. You mean Abbott and Reclaim Australia's anti-Muslim racism go hand in hand? Yeah, and do you know that Reclaim Australia and the United Patriots Front are organising an anti-Muslim rally on Saturday the 18th of July at Parliament House, Melbourne? That's why the campaign against racism and fascism is organising a counter-rally. We're meeting at Parliament House at 10 o'clock so we can get there first, take the steps first and show them that their anti-Muslim hate speech is not welcome in Melbourne or anywhere around Australia, not now, not ever. If you want updates on the campaign, text subscribe to 0422-726-843 to join the updates list. The campaign against racism and fascism is a 3CR supporter. This is Freedom of Species Animal Activism on the Airwaves. And we're talking to Greg McFarlane of Vegan Australia and Jeanette Rowley of the International Vegan Rights Alliance on Human Rights of Vegans. What would you like to see? What is what is the aim of your campaigning? What would what in terms of concrete goals? Yeah, concrete goals. Well, certainly, public authorities are state institutions, and they should not be coercive, um, and they should allow vegans everything they need to live according to their deep convictions. So we we don't want to see uh, public figures such as the police service, the post office workers, fire fire servicemen, or women. Um, having to use uniforms that um, are derived from the skin of other other animals, so shoes, accessories, gloves for the fire service, and so on. We we want them to be automatically provided synthetic. I know they have to comply with certain safety regulations, but they are available. Um, that's for people in employment. Uh, for children at school, we don't want them to be given... Um, things made of skin, footwear for sports, for example, football made of skin, textiles or art materials, home economics, cookery classes, we want respect for veganism, veganism on the curriculum, and so on. Um, in consumer society, we want proper services, uh, service, provision of goods and services for vegans to be equal to um, other people as well, uh, equal to non-vegans. So these, these are concrete goals, and I think they're important because the more widely available, the more accessible veganism is, the less animal suffering there is and the more likely uh, people are going to identify with their compassionate nature and, and become veganism. And I think there is a, a huge surge in the popularity of veganism in recent years, and I think that is, you know, it's an indication that people are getting in touch with their compassionate side and, and tuning in to the, the kind of coercive power of the, the dominance of speciesism. How would this affect, say, business owners, restaurants, etc.? Mm. Yes, th- there is an impact, obviously, but there there is an impact on restaurant owners in many other ways as well. And I don't think veganism should be singled out as particularly unique. Uh, restaurant owners need to consider people's medical conditions or not allergies and this kind of thing. So I don't think it's uh, fair to say that veganism causes any more of an inconvenience there. There are lots and lots of um, dishes that can be provided that can suit everyone. So a, ve- a restaurant that's that, that's trying to provide for everyone could have a certain number of dishes that are suitable for, for everyone, uh, including vegans. But we're just, you, so we're talking more than merely labelling the, the dishes as vegan or not? Well, that, that's a choice for the individual restaurant, whether they want to have special vegan options and, and certainly we see that don't we we see that the, the, the restaurant has special vegan options but 
it is possible to feed people in a restaurant with um, generic dishes that are suitable for all cuisine tastes and certain medical conditions and not allergies. You know, if you can make a, a vegan dish, it's quite often suitable for many other people as well. Um, so currently, the law does not stipulate that restaurant owners, certainly in the UK, have to provide uh, nut-free or other allergen-free dishes. Uh, well, under equality law, you, you must not discriminate. So they, if they're discriminating, there would, there would be a problem, but I, I would presume they're not discriminating. They, they, don't, they don't have to do this by law. They just can't discriminate. Um, so would this, this wouldn't put an onus on restaurants to provide meals for vegans, vegan meals? The law stipulates what they can't do. So if you went to a restaurant in the UK, you can't be turned away just because you're vegan. They can't say to you, we can't provide a food, food for you. That's what they can't do. So does this mean they every restaurant has to provide a vegan meal? If they don't provide vegan food already uh, and you've given them some notice, then they should be able to provide you with food. If they turn you away and say it's because they can't give you a vegan meal, then they are uh, contravening um, current law in the UK. And has, has there been any cases brought on that basis? Um, well, vegans are very reluctant to bring cases. Uh, vegans are very good at putting up and shutting off. Um, the most recent case I've been involved in is a case in the Republic of Ireland uh, where uh, a lady was, turned, was sent an email saying that she might as well not go because she's vegan and they can't feed her. Um, so we were, we were pursuing that case recently. Was that a group meal or was that just a meal for her? It was a, it was a group meal, yes. It was a group meal and she was singled out and told not to go by the restaurant owner, by the facility owner. And is that currently going through legal action at the moment? I'm not sure where it's up to. We've provided the information and I haven't got an update what, what's happened with the information so far, but we've done what we can. Do you know what the situation in Australia is regarding these kind of issues, Greg? Uh, I, don't, I don't think anything's come up about um, like that, where um, restaurants have been um, take, taken to issue about not providing uh, meals, uh, at least legally. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a lot of, um, I think there's a lot, lot more restaurants willing to take, the, take, take vegan meals on because of the, the, pop, the increasing popularity. Yeah, I've, I've been here a really short time, and in that short time I've seen signs on the window at the cafe saying, yes, we provide vegan food. And they had some vegan roasted nuts at the market yesterday. So so it's very reassuring to see that. But I wrote to the Australian Equality Commission because um, I heard that there was going to be compulsory vaccinations. Uh, I can't remember what the vaccinations were now. Um, and I wrote to the Equality Commission and asked, how to, asked, asked them to give a statement um, regarding compulsory vaccinations for vegans because the, I think it concerned babies. Um, that was some time ago now and they didn't get back to me on that, so I need to chase that up. Um, this was raised with uh, people giving a religious exemption and the government, I believe, have come out and said they're not making an exemption for religious belief. Mm. Mm. Uh, I, I asked the Equality Commission to make a statement um, based on vegan veganism not religious belief but they didn't come back to me uh, what other aspects of society will be affected by the provision of vegan rights um Jeanette? well it's 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 pervasive isn't it it's it's huge um if we 
if we could change things overnight, I think the economy would collapse because global economy would collapse because the use of animals is so widespread. And when I arrived in Australia, I, I was listening to the news, and the first news item was the need to expand um, gener the generation of money in in farming. And they were showing herds of cattle, and they were talking about how important it was to to make the economy in this sector much stronger. And, you know, it was all about money. Uh, and the myth that we need these animals to eat and that we need the skin of them to, to clothe ourselves is, is just so... It, it, it's wrong to keep this myth alive because it's so unnecessary. It's all about generating money. And I, I, I think if we change things overnight, so much in society will be affected, but that's no reason to not change... Presumably, uh, rights for vegans is going to affect people affected law in maybe in prisons and those held by the police, yes? Yes. Um, we have a, a very good organisation in the UK that supports vegan prisoners and they are well taken care of. They are given soap and toothpaste and um, the diet is, is OK. But uh, across the globe, we always hear about um, cases where prisoners are not being fed the right diet and they certainly are not being given toiletries. Greg, what's the situation for prisoners in Australia? Well, um, in, uh, in, in theory, um, they, should be, um, uh, they should be catered for. Um, the standard guidelines for corrections in, in Australia um, state that special diets should be given for, for a number of reasons, including medical and religious beliefs and being vegetarian. And also uh, where a prisoner has other reasonable needs. And so that should be um, included um, uh, vegan prisoners under that, uh, that condition. But in reality, uh, in practice, um, that's far from ideal. Um, I've got some quotes from uh, people who work in the prison system saying that uh, in, in general, nutrition is very poor and it's all about the cost. Um, there's not mm -hmm. much support uh, for vegan meals. Uh, and the vegetarian food is swimming in cheese. Uh, and generally, the, the the food and variety is very poor. So um, there's a difference between <clears throat> what's being uh, in in the regulations and, and the guidelines, and what's actually coming out about in practice. And uh, even people who currently receive uh, a special diet, which is about 10% of inmates, um, most of those um, in the study done. Uh, recently, that um, they still have problems with uh, with receiving those special diets. So uh, it's not just about changing laws; it's also about changing um, practices. And another issue is um, is the health of inmates. Um, the majority of inmates, in at least in a study in New South Wales, have at least one uh, chronic health condition, and uh, about half of them are overweight and. Um, Perhaps Jeanette might know more about this, but um, apparently there is a, a, a right to health for prisoners defined in international law. And uh, so the prisons are, are, are falling behind in Australia just on, on that score as well. Well, prison, prisoner rights all over, the, um, all over the world are a problem. The, the cases I've come across concern um, people who have become seriously unhealthy uh, because they haven't been given the correct diet um, and you know some of them are shocking I don't know about the one Greg's just been speaking about but 
Yes, yeah, certainly. You know, that this, this is an area that deserves and needs some attention. Greg, have you got any other comments you'd like to make about vegan rights? Yeah, well, one of the, uh, one of the issues that I'm interested in is, is making sure that, that government institutions, um, such as prisons and hospitals, aged care and, and any government functions where food is provided, that um, that should be by um, either regulation or legislation, uh, that vegan food should be uh, provided in all those situations. <clears throat> At the moment, it seems to be a case-by-case thing that um, if, if you're in the right place, uh, 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 for example, a, a new vegan member of parliament just in uh, New South Wales, they, uh, they, uh, the parliament was very happy to supply a, a vegan food for, that, uh, for their function. But um, it really depends on, <coughs> I suppose, on, on, uh, on, uh, on the staff and the catering staff. Yeah, and, and also in, in hospitals and aged care where, where people really don't have much uh, choice about what they eat, they, they eat what's, what's uh, given to them. Um, that definitely, we, we should, I believe that's an important area that we should um, advocate for to, to, to government to make uh, changes there. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree, uh, and I think the, these areas are crucial areas, but it doesn't just involve legislating to, to, to make provision. It also involves educating the staff. Um, it, it's really important that staff understand what vegan is. Um, we, we've had a case in the UK where a lady, an, an elderly lady went into hospital and she, was, she didn't eat any meat at all. Um, but the nurse gave her some sandwiches with meat on and because she was old, the, nurse, the other nurse said, uh, oh, just give them to her, she, she won't know what it is. You know, and this kind of attitude is is wrong, and um, it's staff as well that need training. So I think that you know, that providing the legislation is one side of it, but I think education is another. I suppose that leads on to a, an entirely other topic, which is vegans in old age and how they mm. are being provided for. Mm. Um, I suppose at the moment with veganism really only taking off relatively recently, old age care facilities have not really seen the impact, but that's going to have to change. It's going to have to change, yes, that's right. Uh, do you know if um, there is any attention being raised in terms of aged care for vegans in the UK? Uh, I don't have much information. I, I've, I've read there are some initiatives in the UK with care homes and... Um, you know, people want to set up care homes for vegan, for elderly vegans, um, um, and that's as far as I know. I don't, I don't think there's anything within the the um, national health service to do with that going on at the moment. Greg, do you know of any uh, provision for um, elderly vegans in Australia? Um, no, I don't know anything in that area. But but just going back to the the prison issue, I'm, I'm actually very optimistic that that those. Um, educational changes can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you, if you look at the last, say, 50 years of uh, uh, prison um, behaviour in, in Australia, the 60s and 70s, there was uh, that we had prison rights. Um, there was a lot of uh, work on, on prisoner prisoner rights. Uh, sorry, prisoner prisoner rights. Uh, and there was a royal commission that said there that um, prisons in food were not fit for human consumption. Sorry, the food. In, uh, in some of the prisons was not fit for human consumption. Um, and so since then, we've, we've actually they've employed uh, nutritionists, better catering staff, um, better, better equipment, refrigeration. And so those 
both, you know, the, the legislative changes and, and the changes on the ground have occurred in the last, say, since, uh, yeah, 30, 30, 40 years. So I believe that it is possible in the next um, number of years to, to make these changes about veganism as well. And with Jeanette being from the UK, uh, I can't help asking what she thinks about David Cameron, because isn't he proposing taking the UK away from various human international agreements on human rights? Yes, it's it's a big worry. Um, the protection for veganism, veganism is um, under Article 9 of the European Convention on Human Rights. And if we leave the European Convention, I would like to know what's going to replace that. Leaving Europe um, does not mean that we're not under a duty to comply with the International Bill of Rights because the UK is connected to Europe legislation and the international legislation. So it would still be under a duty to comply with protection for religion and belief, but without uh, the European Convention. And if the 1998 Human Rights Act was abolished, then... Um, I'd like to see what's uh, proposed uh, to replace th those those two protections for vegans. Am I right in thinking that the reason that Cameron wants to take the UK out of human rights protection, the international agreements, is because of judgments, international judgments, that the UK should allow prisoners to vote? Was that the issue that brought this to the fore? Um, it, it isn't just that. I think there have been some controversial decisions made by the European Court of Human Rights and they've taken the decision-making power away from the UK and, and David Cameron wants the UK to have more decision-making power. Uh, so he's, he wants to negotiate that. Um, but we are a member of Europe and we have to listen to what the European Court says. Um, at the moment, that David Cameron hasn't got an issue with any vegan uh, cases, fortunately. It, it concerns other things. Um, but it, the European Convention of Human Rights is absolutely vital for for the protection of veganism in, in the UK, as is the Human Rights Act in the UK. And um, David Cameron is jeopardising both of those. So, yes, it'll be interesting to see what's proposed as a replacement. What are vegans going to see over the next few years as a result of veganism being considered a belief in international rights protection law? Well, we've already seen some changes. Um, you know, consumer society recognises now that vegans ought to be provided for uh, in terms of goods and services. Um, we have the automatic provision of um, footwear in some uh, public sectors. Uh, the public sector are under duty to monitor um, the way they um, administer equality law, so they'll be looking to include veganism in that because at the moment it's it's just a list of religions to see how, how well they're performing, so veganism would be listed there. Um, and, you know, may, maybe we'll see some changes in, in um, employment context, so vegans, small businesses might be willing to buy a new fridge and a microwave, uh, big businesses might be willing to create a, a new kitchen, so I think there's some scope for, you know, once that starts, then it, once it becomes normal to see these things in employment, then it becomes normal to be vegan. And the more normal it becomes to be vegan, the less likely um, people are going to participate in animal suffering. Are, are there vegans out there that want dedicated microwaves and fridges? Oh, definitely, yes. Yes, the vegans in the workplace tell me that... Um, it's very uncomfortable at work. Uh, they don't use the microwave because it's a crematorium. They can't use the fridge even though they're allocated a shelf because the fridge smells and there's spills all over the fridge. 
Uh, they don't want to use the knives and forks. Um, they want colour-coded cutlery. Uh, yes, vegans, vegans in the workplace have, have said that they want some facilities in the workplace. Uh, I would imagine vegans will be perceived as being difficult or awkward or wanting to be different in that if they're being provided to to that extent. Uh, well, I disagree. Um, you know, I used to work in a university that had a porter cabin called a faith space. Um, now, who needs a faith space? Why not go to the local church? Because all religion, all religions don't want to go in the church. So. Uh, a universal faith space for all faiths is provided. Now, we could say the same thing, thing for a religion. If you want something very specific that costs £2,000, then you look like you're causing trouble. Well, they don't. You know, they have needs, and vegans have needs too. And we have a case uh, where a vegan firefighter is not given boots, gloves, and accessories, but the organisation spent £2,000 for a single Muslim prayer room um, you know, the Muslim isn't being awkward and difficult, and neither is the vegan. Uh, Greg, would you like to add anything there? What's your opinion on, for example, provision of microwaves and cutlery specifically for vegans? Uh, well, this one's always a, a difficult uh, question. I, I, personally, I, I, don't, uh, I don't object to, to that. Um, the, any use of, uh, of animal products is, is accidental. Um, um, a bit like um, eating eating something that was produced in a factory that was um, that also uses uh, animal products. Uh, there might be some cross contamination. Um, so I, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you there, Roy, about about this. Um, but I'm you know I, I think what Janet said uh, um, is, is valid, and I'd be willing to to hear more on it. I think one of the main uh, things that I wanted to say was that it's. For me, it's, it's not about protecting the rights of, of, of vegan individual humans. It's about um, doing something about promoting, uh, educating about the rights of animals. Well, I, I agree entirely with Greg there. Um, it's about the animals, and I think the increase in popularity of veganism is, 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 is bringing that home. Thanks. Now, Jeanette, to learn more about your organisation... Uh, could you give people some links for them to go to? Uh, well, the International Vegan Rights Alliance website is available. It's um, it's not very well maintained, unfortunately. We don't have uh, many resources, but there's quite a bit of interesting information there that, that, that people can have a look at, and also the Vegan Society. Uh, I'm talking about the UK Vegan Society. That, that's, that's a good website for advocacy as well. Thanks. I'd like to thank Greg McFarlane, who's over in Sydney, of Vegan Australia, and Jeanette Rowley of International Vegan Rights Alliance. Thanks very much to You're both welcome. of you. You're welcome. Thanks. Thank you. You're listening to Freedom of Species Animal Activism on the Airwaves, and that was an interview with Jeanette Rowley of International Vegan Rights Alliance and Greg McFarlane of Vegan Australia. Now, that just about wraps the show up. Before we do go, we've got a bit of sad news. This is from the website of WISE, Wildlife Insecure Environment. And this is an organisation that's set up for caring and rehabilitation of all injured and or- orphaned animals through dedication, love and compassion. And on their website, this is a news announcement, sad news and a great loss. It's with great sadness that we announce the passing of our founder and patron, Nina Phillips. She passed away quietly this morning, 8th of June, 2015. Early on, she had worked as a nursing sister, fabric designer, and was a highly 
regarded and respected artist, but was perhaps best known for a tireless efforts in rescuing and rehabilitating native wildlife. Neenan was never short of a story to tell and she had a wonderful sense of humour. She'll be greatly missed. Wildlife in Secure Environment Incorporated Wise will carry on her mission of helping Australia's wildlife. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.